0: On today's episode of The Deep Dive, I'm joined by Aliza Yvette Esquivel. Aliza is a C level consultant and global strategist who is currently CSO at Barbarian. She helps companies create and grow brands that have and has created client side, agency side, and as a brand transformation consultant over the course of her 20 plus year career. She has developed new brands, new audiences, new products, new experiences, and new marketing campaigns for top global companies, including Amazon. Facebook, better known as Meta, American Express, Coke, Nike, McDonald's, Samsung, and Mondelez. You know, just a few companies that no one's heard of. (laughs) So having said all that, I want to re-welcome you to the deep dive because I believe this is your second time on the show, but I can also say that I'm fortunate to be in fairly constant conversation with you. So this is an extra special treat for my listeners and a consistent treat for me. (laughs) So welcome back to the Deep Dive. How are you?
1: I'm very well, and thank you so much, Philip. It's wonderful to chat to you. And yes, this is part two um, of our last uh, discussion where I kind of dropped in a few cryptic statements like uh, we're in a great awakening um, and time doesn't exist. So I see this conversation as sort of a continuation of that.
0: Absolutely. You know, I think, well, we've we've maybe always been reaching a point for these sort of, I think, serious, but yet also esoteric types of conversations. I think we need to allow ourselves more space to wander. And most of the time, our regular vocations, whether speaking professionally or our personal lives, don't allow as much time. For those wandering. So we get an opportunity to do that here. And so having said that, I think talking about this this great awakening, right? Like kind of I think that's a that's a statement that has taken on a new meaning as we sort of live in a permanent COVID reality. Um, I'm trying to move away from saying post-COVID <laughs> for all the obvious reasons, but why don't we start there and, and you can give me a sense of, you know, what do you mean when you when you say the Great Awakening and and just dive into some of those cryptic, so-called cryptic statements.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I've created a container called Consciousness in the Quantum Age as a way of sort of holding space for a lot of what's been on my mind. Um, but before I go into that, I want to take a mini detour because I if you want, if you want to wonder, come sit next to me. And the detour is really to go back to monoculture which is a book that I really love, um, which basically kind of posited that we're living in the economic story. And I found that very profound, you know, the idea that there's a prevailing narrative that we're all snapping to unconscious, consciously or unconsciously. And a while ago, I wrote a piece on LinkedIn asking whether or not we are also living in the engineering story. Um, Because of the prevalence of uh, tech companies, sort of, you know, uh, not just engineering um, our social lives, but in in many ways, engineering our total lives. And I do think that 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 is another story that we're living that leads us right into a kind of a prison or a matrix that none of us really want to be living in. And then consciousness in the quantum age is the story underneath the story underneath the story, um, and so I think that we're starting, we're also starting to live this quantum story. And it really is about where we focus, which is the consciousness part. And then the quantum story is really about how quantum physics and quantum mechanics are changing the way that we think about the nature of reality. So the Great Awakening is... That it is sort of understanding that, A, we're living in these layers of stories that are being served up to us, and we don't like that, and we're going to write our own story. Um, And really questioning, you know, what is this all about, and what is the nature of reality, and how much agency do I have in that picture? And to me, that's how I would define the Great Awakening. Um, And we can talk about time in a beat, but I think that I just dropped a lot there.
0: Before we start to dive dive into, I feel like every time I use the word "dive," like I'm, I have to say, like no pun intended. Like I should I shouldn't have put it in the title of the show. <laughs> People are going to keep thinking that I'm I'm alluding to it in some kind of way. But it's just one of those words. I, I do want to spend some time in that monoculture story. You know, the, meaning the economic story versus the engineering story. In the sense that I released an episode. I think that, that wasn't last week, but the week before, at least when we're recording this, you know, <laughs> like, so people don't go back chronologically.
1: Time doesn't exist.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Time will not exist. So you gotta, I'm going to reference the name, but I, I interviewed Malcolm Harris, who wrote a book called Palo Alto, where he, he traces the history of Palo Alto as the kind of home of Silicon Valley, at least historically and how those ideas have permeated. But he goes deeper into really the story of California and how California as frontier, um, the relationship colonial settlers had with indigenous kind of became this kind of hotbed of activity that has led to what we now consider Silicon Valley. So not to re-litigate Malcolm's episode in this episode, but I reference him to say, do you think or what do you think of the engineering story being subsumed by the economic story? and and what I mean by that is like I'm on the record as saying like my my idea right is is that capitalism, if you want to call that the economic story, is the story, right and and everything flows into that. So it becomes pervasive, right? Like we just can't get out of it. And I'm mimicking, trying to get out of a box, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm, so I'm curious about your your thoughts on where you see that if there's a difference between the economic story and the engineering story, what it is, and is there something to the notion that no matter what the story, it's driven by this economic story, which I'm, I'm choosing to focus on the capitalism part of that. I don't think the other economic stories are as relevant.
1: First, I'll say that I am, you know, a fan of Noam Chomsky, who believes that there is not a two-party system in the United States; it's a one-party system, and that system is capitalism. So I'm, you know, I'm very down with the idea that capitalism is uh, a controlling force and almost, uh, you know, what feels like a prison, um, which is making us all want to break free from, for sure. But I do think that that it is a manufactured story. Capitalism is a manufactured story that tells us that our only use value is our ability to either produce or gain capital, um, and it diminishes the um, the value, the true essential value of a human being, and also disempowers us from understanding what that true essential value is. So, I see capitalism as almost as a, a narrative more than anything that is preventing us from realizing our true potential and our true capacity as human beings. Engineering lives in the service of that story of capitalism. And, you know, I know that Silicon Valley and the tech world is very big on we're going to save the world and we're going to change the world. But, you know, you only need to uh, read winner take all Uh, to understand, uh, and I can't remember the author's name, but you know, the book that I'm talking about, which, which basically says, you know, like the Rockefeller Foundation, it's like, you know, this extractive use of human resources or natural resources to build capital and then turn around and create a foundation that, that sort of like cleanses you of the karmic consequences of what you've done. So, yeah, so that's, that's my 15 cents on that one.
0: (laughs) And I I think, Bringing up and mentioning agency gives us an opportunity to get into sort of the other layers of that story and start to introduce the quantum piece of this, right? Like how I think people have have often wrestled with how much of our lives is fate, right? Destiny. How much is preordained? Where Where does our agency? Our ability to make choices matter, and are those choices like a slipstream? Right? Do we make one choice that leads one direction, and then you know there's that reality, and then there's another choice. Now there's another reality, right? How does agency factor in to this? Because some, sometimes I think, as I as I ask the question, I think to myself, to each of those actors, is it it could be both, right? <laughs> like it can't be. An intentional choice. It could be fate. I'm I'm always like wrapped in the in the paradox of those things. I rely on someone like you to pull me out of it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> or flew farther, far, farther into the rabbit hole. You, you don't know what's going to happen here. So, I mean, so I would say, look, you know, d- just to get real for a minute, it's sort of like, uh, you know, we use the word quantum. I think it gets used and misused, you know, in all kinds of ways. The way that I'm going to try and use it in this conversation is to talk about the way things that behave at the smallest units of reality. Right, And so when scientists observe what's happening at the smallest units of reality, reality or the natural forces uh, that we consider to be the nature of reality sort of break down and and play out in different ways. And that's where you get things like the uncertainty principle or entanglement or superposition and what makes uh, ideas like the multiverse and multiple timelines and parallel lives and questioning the nature of time and whether or not it exists or whether or not we actually exist in an event space that's created by our own observation of it all those things are what I'm talking about with quantum. Now when it gets to the to the question of our own agency and creating our reality, that is the thing that fascinates me the most about uh, quantum theory and the quantum age and actually how it does connect with consciousness So there is there's a couple of different ideas out there that I think are really interesting that have to do with this One is is sort of that, the The notion of observation. So it reality doesn't exist unless we're observing it. That is that happens at the quantum level. Um, you know, basically, superposition is particles can be in two places at once, but then once you you focus on one, the other one is not there. And so then does is it really there or is it was it only there when we're looking at it? And that's what gets your mind into sort of a paradox into a spin. Now, when you think about, well, how does this affect my real life, like, you know, at every choice point that I'm not observing, is there another reality stream that goes off in the choice point? You know what I mean? So think about, you know, there's one version of me that didn't get off at my stop on the subway, you know what I mean? Or didn't hop onto that Uber, but that Uber canceled and then hopped on to another Uber. And what happens to all those different versions of us, right? And... I think that that is, you know, it's an entertaining thought experiment. You know, it's great for storytelling and movies, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit later. Um, But I, I don't think that it, you know, in terms of driving us to a sense of real agency about the importance of our consciousness, that that thought exercise is as powerful as we think. Where does it get powerful? I do think it gets powerful where we realize that we are creating, that there's a holographic nature to reality and that by focusing on reality, we give it life. And we are actually creating reality not only by what we focus on, but also how we respond to what's happening. So we're actually sort of shaping our reality. And if we don't like what's happening, what we can do is go back into what I call a zero point in our consciousness, get to the point where we kind of, in our own awareness, reunify with the Planck field or the quantum field and reselect the experience that we want to be having.
0: And I think it's it's interesting because we are going to get into the kind of that pop culture stuff because I, I think it's it's relevant to explore, like, why at this particular moment a lot of these ideas are in the popular mainstream, right? Because I think they ebb and flow out of the out of the mainstream, right? And the, the notion of I think time travel is it's an old one, right? Um, we can all point to various movies. I mean, the original Planet of the Apes with Charlton Heston is at its core a time travel, right? All the way to more more in a, at least if you grew up in the 80s like we did back to the future right star trek has played a, rat, a lot with these themes of going back in time and different realities and so on and so forth right we get the point obviously the multiverse has has become a, a big part of the current you know marvel universe stories right literally i watched quantum mania just the other day, <laughs> right? like literally, just the other day. Not in anticipation of this conversation, just because I hadn't <laughs> seen it. It's on Disney Plus, and <laughs> like it's it coming on on Fridays. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna watch this movie, right? But then we also had like Stephen Hawking, like book. I remember was like a sensation at one at one point, kind of talking a- around how we think about time and our relationship to it. So sort of astrophysics for the common person, right? So we we reach points where these ideas are ones that we want to engage with, either from the academy, from pop culture perspective, from both. And why do you think we're in a moment now where it seems to be um, pervasive?
1: Well two reasons. I'm going to talk about soft disclosure and then I'm going to come back to The Great Awakening. Absolutely. So, um, so first of all, I feel like the fact that these themes have been around and we can keep pointing to them at different points in history is, you know, those are examples of soft disclosure where it's sort of like there's a prevailing, you know, control ideology that will literally burn you at the stake if you contradict it and so what ends up happening is is that people consciously or unconsciously put the alternative information into the culture one of the one of my favorite examples of this is leonardo da vinci um who i'm just like you know, perpetually obsessed with. Um, but Leonardo da Vinci did this in his paintings. He hid, you know, you know, sacred geometry and hidden information about the Egyptian pyramids in his paintings. And even to this day, we're still trying to figure out the Vitruvian man. So I think that, you know, we can point to, you know, back to the future. There's there's so many movies, you know, like um vanilla sky you know the truman show existence which i you know what I mean? so i feel i feel like these themes have been around you know it you know for hundreds of years you know what i mean and also like you know during the course of our lifetimes we can point to all these it's almost like it's somebody's been like whispering to us you know, Hey, you know, over here, look over here. Now, why, why do we feel like it's like, it's like blown up so much now is because I, I do, I do think that humanity is in an era of a great awakening where our consciousness, meaning what we are aware of, how we are aware of our own awareness the questions that we're starting to ask about the nature of our, our reality and what is actually a false reality or a false matrix like capitalism right um you know what i mean we're we're waking up and we're starting to ask questions and to come back to the quantum theory because we're focusing on new possibilities, we are creating a reality where new possibilities are revealing themselves because it's a feedback system. It's holographic. So that's why I feel like it's so much more prevalent now is because because we are, as I said, we are creating our reality by what we're choosing to focus on and also how we are responding to the stimulus that's being served up to us.
0: And I wanna. I'm, I just jotted down a question that I'm gonna. I'm gonna save, but I'm, I'm. Okay. Mentioning it to you because if I don't come back to this, I'm gonna ask you to make sure I get back to it. So I'm. I'm putting stars next to it because I'm. You and I kind of talked a little bit about this about the awakening, and my question is gonna sort of be like, well, who's awakening and why, right? Because you know, some people been awake. <laughs> you know, some some folks have been asking these questions for a long time, but. I'm holding off there because I want to I want to spend a little bit more time on the reality piece of it, right? Because that does pull into the agency of this. And agency is one of those it's I think it's imperative to the human spirit to to feel that you have some modicum of control over your world as you see it, but I also think that agency can also be turned against those who are oppressed in in the sense that it can become the notion you know the very popular conservative GOP talking points you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps like that's a form of agency right like if you want to make it you know then do these things right like you control what you, what's going to happen to you i think the american origin story The one popularly told, not the true story of genocide and extraction and murder, but the patriotic story is you can come to America and make your own way, right? Quote, unquote, your destiny is in your hands, right? And so to the extent that you don't do those things, it becomes a personal failing rather than uh, an examination of the system but then if you examine the system too much then it becomes like oh well i have no choice anyway right you can one can simplify it to that right so i'm always torn between those realities right and so i'm curious about your thought process about how we adapt to or frame those kind of what sometimes seem as competing stories particularly when they've been so weaponized in the way this all unfolds itself.
1: Um, You know, it's interesting. So I want to talk about personal freedom, okay, in this picture. But one of the things that I'm going to mention is that somebody recently turned me on to these YouTube videos, which are like, what are what are you what are people wearing today or what are you wearing today and um they have some in new york and i just happened to see one in san francisco and every time i see and and it's like they're just on the man interruptions of somebody who's like wearing something cool and then the interviewer asks them you know what are you wearing and they they talk about all the brands or whatever and then he says well what's your purpose or you know what, what what's your you know what are you focused on now and I am astonished. And these are, and these are like young people, you know what I mean? Like they're in their, it's, it's like everybody in their sort of like twenties. The number of people who say, I just want to be free. You know, my main purpose is personal freedom is really, really astonishing to me. And it's something, you know, worth noting. If anybody's listening out there wants to go check those out, it's like, it's really, it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's very striking. Now, the, the thing that I will say about these prevailing narratives, you know, um, and there's a great book. I think it's called Metaphors We Live By, you know, which is very much about, um, sort of like the dualistic nature of reality and the way that we say up is good and down is bad. And, you know, the, the, the sort of the values that we place on these, these metaphors. I think that. For myself, at least, what has provided me personal liberation is to choose other vectors. So the vectors that I've chosen are things that are inward and outward. What is the inner reality and what is the outer reality? And what happens when I put more energy on creating a mansion in my inner reality instead of paying taxes (laughs) (laughs) on a mansion I'm going after, you know, in, in sort of the, uh, the outer reality. And I do, you know, to a degree, I recognize that that has historically been considered a luxury. Like, you know, when you look at the pyramid of needs, self-actualization is always at the top. And it's like, after you've got food, clothing, and shelter, and community, and this, and that, and the other, then you can finally, finally, finally focus on that thing And I would actually argue that it's, it it should be a reverse pyramid and that really the only thing worth focusing on, at least for myself, is cultivating the abundance and the wealth in my inner reality and seeing how that changes what I focus on externally, what I'm able to achieve externally and how detached I'm able to be from the things that are, let's say, not wishing me the best that are out that the people and the things that are, that are not wishing me the best out there in the world. Now, you know, creating a movement around that is, I think, what we're stepping into as a human civilization. You know, I, I, I do think that more and more people are, are wanting personal freedom. More and more people are sort of like waking up from this stuff. And the more that we're able to turn inward and um, share those feelings and also break out of the um, polarities that are being served up to us and create new plot points on a map and serve that up to each other, I think that that's where, in all honesty, the power of the future lies.
0: And, and that's like a great synopsis. And I want to go more into that because I think, again, the, the notions of like asking these folks on the, like I haven't seen the videos, right? So I'm just going to go off what you described right so these folks are are on the street and we're asking like you know what do we want and all this kind of stuff and the freedom comes in it's like I think that's that very much dovetails with that American you know uber capitalist story mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. because it, it becomes very much the story of me right like I say like oh we're all stars in our own in our own movies right like everyone's insert your your favorite actor here, responding to the world around them, right? Like, you know, hey, I'm walking my own red carpet, <laughs> right? But social movement, social change can't really, in my estimation, happen like that, right? Like if, you know, like that's the, the old adage, right? If you're not free, I'm not free, right? So if if there's worlds out there affected by things, right? Then it like, it doesn't matter if it's not me, going through it, right? Like suffering anywhere is too much suffering, right? So how do we shift? Because I think some folks can make that connection, but, but other folks, it does it does stop with like their thing, right? You know, it's this old, if I'm okay, you're okay. Or you hear people say like, oh, I can't, if I can't help myself, I can't help anybody else. Right and and there's a show we were talking about TV, and so there's um there's a on Hulu it's called um the Fleischman's are in trouble or the trouble with Fleischman something like that and it's actually really good right so I would this this is not an official drop but I would recommend it and it's on Hulu and there's a scene where like one of the characters is dealing with some shit and she starts to use the analogy when you're on the plane where they're like you know. If something happens on a plane and the oxygen mask drops down, put the oxygen mask on yourself first, then put the oxygen mask on your kid, if you have a kid with you, right? Or whoever you're traveling with that might not be able to put the oxygen mask on. So she later uses this fix to justify her behavior, where she's like, I got to put on my own oxygen mask, right? And she like kind of checks out, right? So I'm, I'm curious about that balance, right, of working toward your stuff, the metaphorical, your stuff, while also recognizing that it's tough to build justice movement if I'm only work looking out for me, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it can be a tricky one, but I'll say a couple things here is understanding your own self-worth and, and the nature and value and potential of who and what you are as a human being is a super powerful thing to do and um, with that power you can achieve many many good things so i don't you know i'm not encouraging narcissism you know what i mean and i'm not encouraging uh selfishness you know what i mean and sort of like because that's not what it's about but on the other hand you know a drowning person can't save you you know what I mean? Like if you're feeling unsteady, don't lean on the unsteady person. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, for for me, it's a little bit more of get steady within yourself. Make sure that you're always keeping your internal biosphere, shall we say, you know, your internal ener- energetic biosphere running at optimal capacity. You know what I mean? Because when you're called upon to help and you're, You've got that power, you're going to have major impact. If you yourself are depleted and you're trying to help a bunch of other people who are not in the place where you are, actually, you're going to get pulled down by the weight of that, as opposed to being able to really be as helpful as you could. So it really is about each person's personal intent, you know. But part of, you know, the mission I've been on personally and what I encourage people to do is, you know, if you really want to make a difference, really get your shift in order, get your, you know, get your internal house in order, you know what I mean? And really be in that place where when asked for help, or when you notice what that thing is, that is the thing that you can really make a difference in, you're going to have a million times more impact than otherwise.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in um, realities like this one, we definitely need you know, self care, right? I think m- many activists kind of talk about that. There's a there's a huge movement toward rest, rest as rebellion. You know, I'm the first person to take take a nap. <laughs> me too, me too. Absolutely, naps are are precious, precious things, right? And we do need to to recharge. I, I think what I want to continue to underline is, like you were saying, like this timeline has an ability to commoditize everything right so the realities of these movements can now become just something to be marketed and and sold right like you know you have like a a, a 6 thousand year practice like yoga you know that has become fashion right like you know I can't I can't think of the number of like rude people that I've encountered in yoga studios right <laughs> so you would think, that this is the space where you're walking in here in a, in a different community perspective and yet you bring the outside into the practice and you know i don't know how many how many i'm going to say women cuz i'm typically when i go to yoga i'm the only dude <laughs> so this is this is not a sexist statement and i'm usually the only black dude. i've never been in a yoga yoga studio where there's two black dudes ever and I've been, and I've been practicing yoga for a long time, and I've been to a, been to a lot of studios. I've never been in a studio where there's another black guy. Um, so put, I'll just put that out there. But um,
1: yeah, in case anyone's listening and want, wants to go meet Philip at yoga.
0: <laughs> exactly. If anybody wants to kind of be my yoga buddy, feel free to send me a note on on the show. But um, but I say that to say that you know, there's people who walk into the studio, they weaponize that yoga mat. Right. Right. So, again, it it feels like the agency versus like, how do we continue to chart our own paths? And I think that gets us back into that quantum. Right. Like this is this is the part of the awakening story. And so I want to get to the question that I started. Right.
1: Oh, good. Yes.
0: Weird when you mentioned you know people are asking these questions i i think you know from from those i'm going to use the out cultures right like clearly whiteness is a prevailing cultural force right and those of us who aren't white have had to push our humanity to the forefront right which means we have to do two things simultaneously right we have to reclaim stories that have been lost to us and we have to write news stories, right? And so the the future so often doesn't include us, right? Like that's that's been one of my not just me, but many people complaining about the way culture works, right? You get the either it's like business like, oh I got, oh, I downloaded this futures report. Nothing that that confronts certain realities, right? Or you're watching a TV show about a dystopian whatever, right? Or a future, doesn't even mean to be dystopian or whatever. It looks like this with different clothes, <laughs> different backdrop that lets you know it's not Earth as we know it, but all the structures are in place to make us familiar with it. Right,
1: it's it's not Earth like we know it, but everybody's still fighting.
0: Yeah, everybody's still fighting, <laughs>
1: and somebody's extracting something from somebody. You know, it's like, come on, and
0: and the, and the hierarchies still exist. Yeah, right. And so I look at those stories when when I you know when I see them in pop culture reality or wherever, and I'm like, well, this is not a future based story, right? Because this this is just this, but everyone has on like onesie jumpsuits, right? Instead of right? Or athleisure, since athleisure is now the new thing, right? So, so that that's really my question. When when I get done with the soliloquy, is when I when I hear you talk about the awakening, I feel like folks from from our and I'll kind of put us together communities have been talking about this for a long time, right? Because we've we've had to imagine a world where we are in it.
1: Yeah, and in a way, I mean, I would say thank you for that because you've been holding space for our humanity um, and there's a place for that. It's like, it's like you know, going back to the um, Leonardo da Vinci example, he lived in a time where, you know, the the sort of metaphysical ideas and this, the ideas that that human beings are themselves God could not uh, be communicated, so he had to hide them, you know? So to be born into a culture or a community that holds on to its humanity in a world that is anything but humane. And, you know, I'm glad that you brought up white culture. You know, I, I encourage everyone to research white supremacist culture, which is, you know, a very insidious, you know, unconscious prevailing modality of being, that basically when you look it up and you read the elements of it it's corporate culture so we are we are literally you know surrounded by that for sure and i do think that there was there was a movement in the 60s there was afrofuturism there was chicano futurism um, and there was there was a more sort of protopian view of the future in science fiction and in speculative fiction and it sort of fell out of favor but it did exist And so, you know, I am a big, you know, advocate of we got to put ourselves in the picture, you know, we, and we, and we have to stop telling the same stories over and over again that we don't want to live in and also call it out. You know, I mean, like enough already. So, you know, we need, you know, obviously, you know, there's a whole big topic about not just representation of. Inclusion in um, television and film, but in the authorship and in the production of what we're seeing. So I am heartened to see that we are beginning to see more of that. You know, everything everywhere all at once. I think is like one of those um, films that sort of kind of came out of nowhere that felt like it was you know starting to go there. And we could probably talk about a couple of other ones, but I do think it's just you know there are many cultures in this world who have been oppressed by uh, hatred and colonialism. And I think it's those cultures are the ones that are going, going to, for better or worse, be the ones who hold space for the rest of humanity to come into its own heart and to its own awareness of what we really are and what our potential really is. And it kind of, in a way, stinks because it's like, oh, you know what I mean? You're going to take my land and take my dignity and then I have to save you. You know what I mean? Um, which is, it, it you know, it's a hard pill to swallow. You know, on the other hand, as, you know, Hispanic woman, early on, I realized I, I came both from the oppressor and the oppressed because that's what a Mexican is. It's an indigenous person that was colonized by Spaniards and then they intermarried. So I kind of have less of a dualistic point of view about it and instead just recognize, you know, what the potential is and have decided which way I want to read.
0: Yeah, and I think that dualism is interesting to bring that up because we exist in, all of us are many different things, right? We inhabit these particular bodies, right? But within the way we see ourselves, project ourselves, have our own thoughts. It's very hard to distill that, in my mind anyway, to just these big buckets. Like So of course we have the big buckets, right? Like anyone will look at someone like me and say, okay, well, presents as a as a dude, so likely a guy, you know, I'm chocolatey, so they'll be like, okay, he presents Black, right? Um, what we know of as Black. But there's a lot of other things that go into making a person a person. And I think that's part of us kind of pulling apart these realities right like to me that's I'm curious how that also parallels with these quantum experiences that we're talking about right in the sense that yes cuz it's, it's always movement right like i feel like whenever we're in those um those movies the character and even when you described it it's the flow changes based on movement right so it's not like I just like go to bed and wake up someplace else, right? <laughs> Maybe some people have had that experience, but, um, you know, it's always like, oh, do I get the train, miss the train, right? Do I take that car or do this car? Sliding doors with Gwyneth Paltrow, right? Like, you know, so trying to capture everything that we are seems to me to be very much like making those choices, right? And getting into all these different streams.
1: Yeah, and and that's why I talked about the zero point, right? So, and because I get real practical with this stuff as well. And, you know, the the idea is, is that in the zero point, you enter back into the quantum field where there's infinite potential. And that's where you have the opportunity to jump timelines and quite honestly, go get on the one that you want to be on. And it's, you know, it's really interesting. And I do think that it's happening on a mass scale, you know, reality is becoming very fluid right now. And we are seeing all kinds of timeline mergings and odd things happening. And I would be remiss in this conversation if I didn't start talking about Mandela effects. So, because those are very interesting, you know, proofs in the pudding of, wow, wait a minute, you know, and and some people can argue, well, that's just your misremembering. No, you know, you know, you, you know that when you grew up, the Monopoly man had a monocle. You know that now he doesn't. Well, what happened? You know what I mean? Like, so, so all of these, you know, like, I think to me, the, the ones that are the, the ones that are m- most interesting are the Berenstain bears versus the Berenstein bears, the Monopoly man with a monocle versus without a monocle, um, sex and the city versus sex in the city. So, and then the the one that really freaked me out was the rock group Queens, that song, We Are the Champions. Mm -hmm. You know how it goes. We are the champions of the world. It doesn't end with of the world anymore. Go and listen to the song and it will blow your mind. So I think that they're, again, soft disclosure. They're like little clues. They're little clues that are happening out there that actually the nature of reality isn't quite what we think it is. And that there are, there are different timelines. And, you know, they're, you know, in the spiritual community, they talk a lot about how the timelines are splitting. And it's like, there's all these different timelines, but eventually, you know what I mean? We talk about the fork in the road, the fork in the road, the fork in the road. You keep making those choices moment by moment by moment by moment by moment. But over time, you go so far down the lane that you can't jump on the other timeline. Right. So again, it's like, you know, this is why the self-empowerment thing and consciousness is so important, is recognizing how much power you have to be in command of what you're focusing on and what you are choosing to be part of your reality. Because moment by moment by moment by moment, you are literally creating a track and that is going to separate you from another reality. So if you want your reality to be dystopian, and you want to be, you know what I mean, oppressed by a capitalist culture, and you want to treat yourself like a brand and a thing and not take care of yourself, moment by moment by moment, that's going to take you a place. You know what I mean? Or you can actually grab a hold of yourself and say, wait, actually, I recognize that reality is fluid, that, you know what I mean, I'm creating it along with a bunch of other people. So which is the one that I want to create and who do I want to go create it with?
0: And I think that's, a critical piece of this, right, is the the community aspect of it. is is something that I think is vital, right? That are those who came through this, right we we could only come through it with community. I, I think that's why, like a part of a part of my thinking is always I kind of recoil from like a lot of like the self helpy. I'm okay, you're okay stuff, right? And I'm not saying that's not what you're saying, right? But I'm just explaining, there's just a part of me that the minute I hear it, I kinda gotta, it just forces me to go the other way, right? Because even when we are depleted, right? Like I pull from those around me, right? Like that. that's where I think the power of community comes into this, right? And I think that's a very different, Perspective on the future than the current narrative, right? So I think a, com- a communal future is the future that they, <laughs> right, in quotes, don't want, right? Because the more we're in community with each other, the less we need of the brands and stuff, right? And and, and Douglas Rushkoff talks about this, where uses analogy growing up, where in his community, you know, used to be you know, people shared things, right? Then it became, okay, well, if you got a grill, I need a grill, right? And then now we're not grilling together. I'm grilling, right? Now I'm inviting you. And I used to have a lawnmower and, hey, can I borrow your lawnmower? And I, but now, no, I got to get my own lawnmower. Then I got to get my John Deere. And then we like we're all in these little tracks doing our own thing, right? And I think the, sh- the initial sharing economy was supposed to challenge that, right? Of course, weaponized by, by capitalism, right? Like, oh, we have all these vacant cars. You don't need a car, we we'll just have Uber. But they use that to then destroy taxis and like, you know, drive prices down and all the rest of it, right? But I think that idea at the core is is what I'm trying to, to grab at, right? And one of my favorite in- examples of this is uh, Harriet Tubman. Right, Harriet Tubman, famous. I don't need to go into who Harriet Tubman is. She's usually the only person. Her, Martin Luther King, and, and Rosa Parks are the three Black people that white people know on Jeopardy, right? So I'm assuming that my listeners know who Harriet Tubman is, right? Because if there's any question that has to do with Black people, then that's not one of the three answers people on Jeopardy don't know.
1: Oh my god, that's <laughs> terrible. How depressing. Do they even ask about Mexican people on Jeopardy?
0: Yeah, they do sometimes. Oh,
1: do they? Yeah, because you know what it is. <laughs> I don't watch Jeopardy. I don't know what's, what's
0: going on there. Well, you know, but you know the show, right? And like, everyone knows Jeopardy. Yeah, I know of
1: it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah.
0: You know, it's become my catch-all for when, when I try to explain to people that, like, whiteness is so pervasive that these folks are assumingly super smart and they still don't know anything about things that they don't think is important, <laughs> right? Um, and and is a perfect example of that they can know the most arcane thing, you know, 12th century Italian opera, and they'll go through the entire
1: as long as as long as it starts with Greek culture, they know yeah. about
0: it. <laughs> as long as it's in their frame, they know about it. But yes. if, if you ask, you can ask them the most basic question. I, I watched someone on Jeopardy a week ago who they put up a picture of this artist named SZA, who's super popular right now, and they were like, "This artist did blah 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 blah." None of these motherfuckers knew who this person was. They called her like three different singers. None of them SZA, right? I'm like, but if they showed like a, a calligraphy of something from like 11th century Icelandic something, they would have been like, "This Olaf Okuforsason," you know? <laughs> like it would have been no problem at all. So anyway. Um, But I think about Harry Tubman and I think about community, right? Like her ability to rescue and, and help enslaved people become free could only happen through community, right? The Underground Railroad was a collection of individuals, right? Men, women, white, Black, Indigenous, who allowed people like her, she wasn't the only one, to transport enslaved people from the South, to the North and Canada, right? Where they can live a more precarious life, but at least not when enslaved. Mm -hmm. That could only exist through community, right? And that Underground Railroad to me is a metaphor for taking these people into a full future of their humanity, right? Do the transport of people, but through resources and networks, right? So how do we start to reclaim our own story within a story of community in this quantum way that we're thinking about it, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, one thing that's coming to mind is Blue Zone Living. Have you heard about Blue Zone Living? It's a new one. Um, And I don't know who they are, but some people wanted to research who, who are the people who live the longest. Um, which communities in the world have the people with the, that have the most longevity. And um, there were a couple of places, I think, in Japan and elsewhere, there were different communities. It, it was outside of the United States. And then they looked at the shared characteristics of these of these global communities.
0: I didn't know it was that name, but Barbados is one of those places.
1: Yeah. So, so, so Blue Zone Living is, is really about moving naturally, finding your purpose, the ikigai, downshifting, reducing stress in your life, 80% rule, which is people in blue zone areas stop eating when their stomachs are 80% full. Um, They have a plant slant and uh, a sense of belonging. The community bit is really, really important. It's about a walkable culture. It's about a sense of community. It's creating a way of life where you're walking a little bit uh, every day and you're, you're interacting with your neighbors, you know what I mean? And having this sort of like uh, communal thing and having really the right tribe is such an important part of blue zone living the world's longest lived people have close friends and strong social networks so that strong social network is sort of the thing and in many ways i see like this blue zone living you know are are in some ways the beginnings of a great civilization you know what i mean like right now we don't have a great civilization on planet earth okay we're you know what I mean? We're not sharing. We're n- and 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 really honestly, like it's not that complicated, guys. Go back to kindergarten. It's sharing and caring. You know, come on. But I do, I do think that, you know, again, if we're looking for the outside world to become that way so that we can be that way, we'll be waiting for the rest of our incarnations. We have to be the ones who have to say, these are the values that matter to us. You know, sharing, caring our own inner sanctuary and our ability to create the reality that we want to live in. We talk about it with each other and we can create community around that. I mean, I, I, I know, you know what I mean? (laughs) It, it sounds so simple because it is so simple. Um, and I, and I think we, you know, we're, we're distracted in this world by a lot of, you know, programming. Like, that's like why they call it a television program. You know what I mean? It's like we're, we're distracted by a lot of programming that takes us away from the very, very simple things that we need to do and should do in order to have a great civilization, and also from the very things we should be thinking and feeling that help us realize what we're really worth and what we're really capable of as human beings and that is in every way connected to the quantum because because the quantum is what is what happens at the very very micro level is happening at the very very macro level and if we go down to you know that if we understand that we can get into that field and tap into it then we are truly and sincerely
0: empowered and i, I want to we got a little bit more time here so i want to talk about how these these notions of Um, quantum and we're just using it as a catch-all now. I think folks that have been listening for this long get that this could mean a lot, but we set a a definition at the beginning and we're gonna kind of move with that within that definition that you know, so much of this is often in the What I call how we perceive science to be, right? It's the you know I I mentioned Einstein, I mentioned Stephen Hawking. No, no offense to either of those. The quantum piece has often been tied to a sort of Western academic perspective. No salt on Einstein, no salt on Stephen Hawking, and I should give a shout out to Einstein while I have a minute because for those who only keep him in the kind of like quirky picture, quotable guy, he actually was quite a quite an activist on civil rights and anti-Zionist, like very interesting dude from a political and social perspective that I've only recently, recently been the past five or six years have come to um, understand. So another catalytic figure that we should spend more time with their politics, but nonetheless, putting that aside, you know, but I alluded to this, that outside of that sort of Western canon tradition, what we call again, science, there's incredible ways of knowing the world that I'll refer to as folkloric, that have existed, do exist. And I think that's part of what I call like, what I think about when I think about reclaiming, right? Because the more I, I look at the way you know Afro-Caribbean people have, have used traditions and, you know, Latino people have used traditions, indigenous, th- those ways in which they viewed and thought about the world are just as, as far reaching in their scope. And people will dismiss it as to say that it's not knowable, right? Like it's not provable within the scientific tradition the Western scientific tradition, but then that never turns out to be true, that these things, those stories can be proved. And also that always rubs me the wrong way. Cause I'm like, why do I need to prove anything to fucking you? Right? Like who cares what you have to think, right? Like you guys believed in bleeding people with leeches, right? That was bullshit. So what the fuck do you know? So anyway, like you get what I'm saying.
1: I do. And I, and I just, I just want to reinforce what you're saying, you know, by saying this is that quantum physics and quantum mechanics and quantum theory is all about how energy and particles behave in an invisible world. So what else is about how energy behaves in an invisible world? The spirit realm, you know what I mean? So think about that, Uh, you know, talking about, you know, folklore and mythology, you know what I mean? It's like, it's all about how energy behaves, you know, the mysterious ways that energy behaves in an invisible world that's exactly what quantum physics is. And you're absolutely right that it's just because it comes through this doorway that has been, you know, pre-approved by, you know what I mean, the prevailing uh ideologies, then it can go through that door. Otherwise, it's dismissed as myth, as folklore, as, you know, woo-woo, as, you know, spirituality. I mean, so much of what The Buddhas talked about Lao Tzu, Rumi, Paramahansa Yogananda, Eckhart Tolle, even. They are talking about the very, very same things that quantum physics is talking about, but just coming in through a different door. But it doesn't get classified as significant or something that could really shape our reality unless it comes in through certain doorways. And I think this is also part of our job, you know what I mean, in terms of creating our own reality is to say, yeah, that's, that's not cool. You know what I mean? Like all of this is valid.
0: All of this is valid. (laughs) I think that is a a perfect summation. You know, I'm looking at the time. So I want to just ask one off the dome question. And this is one that I've asked often, but I think this is a perfect way to ask it, and we'll get to the drop. So, off the dome, given the fact that time is not real and we have this ability to flow through it and with it, if you had the opportunity to go back in time, the metaphorical go back in time and spend time with your ancestors or go into the future and spend time with those who are coming after you, which would you choose?
1: I definitely go to the future. I have come across a narrative uh, that basically says, We are a galactic race um, that is meant to resolve duality, and we're actually meant to go out into the galaxy to teach other races how to do that. And we're also stewards of this planet, and we'll become such good stewards of planet Earth that we will no longer live on planet Earth, but we will have crafts that hover above and we'll just come down on Earth for stewardship purposes, but we'll live up up above. And so I want to go to that time and go check it out because that sounds really dope. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that.
1: Okay. What about you?
0: Um. Wow. No one's ever turned it back on me. I would probably go into the future as well. Not for as thought out a rationale, but I think I have some stories. I have some of that folklore of those who came um, before me. So I honor those who made that journey even before Pan Am flights and got me here. Um, but I kind of like to see what's going to happen next. And so out of curiosity, I'm like, are we still wearing jeans? That's my theory, right? <laughs> jeans will never go out of style, right? I refuse to believe in a future where we're all wearing like mono, mono-colored one's jumpsuits, Right. So we're all in the onesies. That's cute. We're all yeah. in the onesies. I got to believe that genes are eternal. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. I'm going to get to the drop and, and the drop is just an opportunity to share anything at all with, with my listeners. And I kind of, I gave, you know what my drop is going to be, but um, it's a show that I've just started and it's on Apple TV or Apple TV plus. I never know what they should call it. Um, and it's called Silo. And it's based off a um, series of books, um, and so far, so good. I'm three episodes in. I'm enjoying the world, the world building, and um, I definitely want to see where it goes. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna recommend Silo in full, even though I haven't finished it. But likely by the time this episode comes out. It, I would have finished it. It's it's one of those shows that they're dropping weekly. So, if I had the chance, I would have probably finished it just through the power of streaming and the voracious way in which I watch watch shows. <laughs> but um, Silo is my drop, and you're up.
1: Okay, that's a strong recommendation. I'm going to have to check it out. Um, my drop is a show on Netflix called Love Between Fairy and Devil. It's a 36 episode uh, series that uh, aired in China from August 7th to September 22nd, 2022, and was just absolutely epically popular. And I totally understand why. Yes, it's a story about a fairy and a devil who fall in love, um, but it's about so much more than that. And one of my favorite things about it is that I think about like in episode two or three, one of the guys from the fairy world comes to visit another guy, and um, they walk into a painting, and they go into the fairy world and drink wine and talk about their feelings. And that's my kind of show. Um, but it's got many, many other wonderful things about it, uh, most notably of which it's kind of an homage to intangible culture, the intangible cultural heritage of China. And so it, it it covers many, many um, cultural traditions, like twenty seven different cultural traditions. And so the set design and the costume design is really, really beautiful. And then the last thing that I'll say is that the producer of the show said that the theme of the show is love and peace. And if you can't tell, that's what I'm all about.
0: that is amazing. i'm I'm literally gonna add that to to my overflowing my list on on Netflix. I, I feel like when I when I meet people who you know every so often on Twitter or something they'll be like someone who's like I've watched everything recommend shows and I'm like no you haven't you've merely watched like what I call like American mainstream watching like I'm a big believer in Netflix not from a no stock perspective or anything like that. I have no fucking idea about any of that. But I just think of all the streaming services, at least the ones available to us in the United States, they have the biggest variety of international shows. And if you're willing to like get out of like the American, like, oh, I watched Ozarks, right? Or whatever, and watch shows from other places, more than, than 50% of the things I watch are international, you know? And you'll never ever be able to go through all of this, you know. So I I love that you that you highlighted a show from China. I'm literally going to add it to my queue immediately. So that is a that is a great a great drop. Love and peace is what I'm about as well. (laughs) Um, I mean, we could do this forever, and I and because I talk to you all the time. I'm gonna get the opportunity to continue to have these conversations with you, which is awesome. This has been amazing, Aliza. I can't thank you enough for joining me on the show again, for being willing and open to kind of just wander with me through these ideas. And like I said, I'm glad we're gonna be able to do it again soon. So thanks so much for being on The Deep Dive.
1: My pleasure and likewise, have a great one. Thank you so much.
0: You can listen to the Deep Dive via Apple Podcasts and our website, thedeepdivepod.com. Download, subscribe, listen, and share. If you like what you're hearing and enjoy what me and the team are putting together, then leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow me on Twitter via farflungphil. To all my listeners, wherever you are in the world, I thank you. See you on the other side.